It's time to tune in to Defending the Faith with Frank Harbor. Hear the latest about religious liberty. A win for religious freedom in one of the remaining blockbuster cases facing the U.S. Supreme Court this term. A legal battle continues for the Little Sisters of the Port for nearly a decade now. A street preacher armed with a speaker, a microphone, and a camera strapped to his chest is now banned from the village. Our founding fathers believed in the separation of church and state, but not for one fleeting moment. Did they believe in the separation of God and government? And powerful apologetics. Are you prepared to defend the faith? I'm convinced unless we trust in God, this nation is finished. We're facing a new kind of enemy. We're involved in a new kind of warfare. And we need the help of the Spirit of God. Three, two, one. Well, welcome to another episode of Defending the Faith. I am Frank Harper, and I am the Chief Legal Counsel for Defending the Faith Alliance. We defend the faith. And you can go online and find out about us at defendingthefaith.law. You can sign up for our newsletter and get information about upcoming podcasts and legal cases. We've got a lot of religious liberty cases that are going on in the country, and so we want to keep you updated about that. Well, we always bring great shows, but today I'm really, really excited because we have Kyle Clayton on the show, and he is the pastor of the church at Quail Creek in Amarillo, Texas. And I know that the church used to be another name because Dr. Stan Coffey, who I knew, uh, pastored that church there one time, uh, Pastor Kyle, and I was preaching someplace else and was not able to 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 go there. And I know there's an amazing story about uh, uh, Pastor Coffee going to be with the Lord and Kyle becoming the pastor of the church, and he's doing a great work there. I'm going to tell you, though, before we get started, that Kyle comes from an amazing family. So his dad um, is a pastor. I think he's retired, and I think he's actually living in Amarillo now, but his name is Rex Clayton, and 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 your mother Karen, and so uh, know that I did a revival for him in Odessa, Texas. Right. And uh, man, I love your dad. Yeah, man. And so, man, you got the wonderful family, and and so you even look like your dad. You know, yeah. I think I think yeah. you got you got some of his features and stuff. But uh, Kyle Clayton, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, like you said, serving in Amarillo, Texas, been here for 14 years at our church. Like you said, we had a great legacy here in our city. I will actually be having our 100th anniversary as a church in two years. Wow. Quite a legacy. Um, man, I've got to grow up in West Texas my whole life. Um, very thankful for that. I love being here in kind of the best part of Texas in Amarillo. Um, got some, man, got a great wife, April. I've got some great kids who are in high school. So my prayer life is amazing right now. Um, man, I, life is good. Got to get to serve a great church. Like you said, my parents live here close now. Um, man, God has been very gracious to me. And I, you know, and you're a great preacher too. So you man, must have you. got that from your dad and Absolutely. Uh, growing up listening to him preach. And, uh, you know, your dad took me to play golf one time and we were on De in Odessa and there was these pump jacks out in oh, the middle yeah. of the golf course and we had to hit around them. And then yeah. there was these sprinklers going off and they had sewage water. So between yeah. dodging the sewage water 
and the pump jacks. Uh, it was exciting. It was exciting uh, uh, golf to, to play. But uh, I, I love your family. Well, we're going to jump into the show today because um, this show involves, you know, something that happened on the, the Temple Mount and, okay. and, and prayer. And so I'm just going to give the floor to Kyle and let him set this whole thing up. And, and uh, he's got a great teaching for us today. So go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. We had the great privilege of getting to go with a group of pastors through the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention uh, to the Holy Land recently. Um, we love our state convention. We're thankful for the partnership to let us go as well. Um, while we're there, we got to see numerous sides. Uh, in particular, we went to the Temple Mount. While we were there, we had to go up a certain gate. Um, anybody that is not a, a Muslim um, can only enter through one way. And you go through a security checkpoint. Uh, as we're kind of standing there, kind of waiting for the rest of our group to come through, we started noticing a, a group of Jewish brothers uh, kind of gathering in a group next to us. Uh, they kind of went around us and sat down, and we didn't really understand it at first. Uh, you know, of course, our guide's waiting for us. We gather all of our stuff, and we start walking. And as we kind of make it onto the Temple Mount, our guide turns around and says, I just want you all to know what's about to happen. You know, we're thinking maybe we're in trouble for something. Um, but come to find out what he was about to tell us was going to change the whole trip for me. You know, I've grown up my whole life thinking about the Temple Mount, you know, thinking of its history, you know, thinking of Solomon, thinking about Herod, you know, kind of in that rebuilding period. And, you know, when I see the Temple Mount, I, I think of history. I don't think of you know, currently as it sits with the dome on the rock and the mosque to the side. Um, but when we got there, he said, just so you know, the Jews, uh, that was what that group was, a, a group of Jews. They're waiting for a security detail. And I thought maybe something's going to happen and maybe that's what he's trying to tell us. But ultimately what he told us was when Jews want to go up on the Temple Mount, they have to be escorted by military uh, who are carrying guns, by the way, which was amazing to us. They have to be escorted around the Temple Mount so that they don't pray on top of the Temple Mount. Wow. Um, that's prohibited. I, I was blown away. Um, you know, we're standing there. In fact, we were standing in the area where Jesus would have overturned some tables. I mean, we're standing in biblical history. And as we're standing there looking at this, that group walked past us. Uh, one guard in front, a couple on the side, two in back, all with weapons. And walking with this group of Jewish believers. Um, it was amazing to me that there was a place where our friends who are Jews could not pray at the Temple Mount. And it was just astounding. Now, mind you, there's many gates to the top of the Temple Mount. Uh, they had to enter in the same way we did. And, man, families were coming in, families of Muslims dropping their kids off at what I would assume was just school of some sort, some kind of training, or maybe it's a Muslim VBS. I don't know what it was. We're just running around, but this Jewish group of people had to be escorted. It, it was mind-blowing to me. Uh, it was heartbreaking at best. That's stunning. I mean, so, I mean, you know, they're having to be guarded so they so they won't pray. Yeah. Um, like that, that would be a danger, you know. Agreed. Makes you, makes me think of Daniel chapter 6, you know, when... Uh, you know, the law was passed that no one could pray to a God or a man for 30 days with the penalty being death and, you know, them being thrown into a den of lions, you know, that, you know, the prophet Daniel 
you know, faced. And then of right. course we know that story because he, he refused and said, man, I'm going to pray. Yeah. You know, as we walked around, we, we took pictures everywhere. Of course we're tourists, you know, um, we had free guidance, just kind of walk as we chose to, to touch things we wanted to touch. Now, mind you, we couldn't go into the mosque or into the dome of the rock, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but as we walked, we could walk freely and did so anywhere we wanted to, we could go look at this wall. We could walk over this area, uh, but they had to be escorted down a path. They walked a path and then they walked out. Uh, they didn't linger and nor could they just stay and dwell. They kept walking. Um, it, it was mesmerizing to me for so many reasons. Uh, mainly because as I'm walking on the temple Mount, you know, obviously our minds immediately go to Solomon's temple, you know, where it would have been, how it sat there, you know, Mount Moriah, the threshing floor of Uriah the Hittite, you know, all these stories that we remember that are biblical history um, are living out right in front of us. And all of that now is covered up by mosques, um, covered up by the Dome of the Rock. Um, history tells us that if you were to lift up the Dome of the Rock, you would see the top of Mount Moriah right there. Um, the problem that we run into with history now is they don't do any kind of excavation underneath there to find history. They don't want that because if they found out that below that was actual biblical history, they would have to abandon that site. So it's never going to happen. They won't allow it. Um, but in 2021, uh, a Jewish brother goes up and he just prays quietly to himself. Um, he does this and somebody sees it and they tell the authorities and he's ultimately taken to trial. Um, in the trial, they protect him. They say, listen, he was privately praying. There shouldn't be anything against it. Um, the problem was at the same time, uh, the Muslim leadership said, this is, I mean, this is a declaration of war because what they saw in their mind is what happens next is you have thousands, I guess, of Jews who come up there and privately pray on the temple mound. They didn't want that. So they pressed back. Um, ultimately, a higher court found against the man and said, listen, how could he be privately praying and be found? So no, he's not protected. And no, Jews won't be allowed to privately pray on top of the Temple Mount. Um, you know, what I learned was, you know, the Western Wall that we affectionately call, I guess, the Wailing Wall. Uh, nobody in the Jewish faith in Jerusalem calls it the Wailing Wall. It's just the Western Wall of them. Um, that's the only place they get to really pray uh, that's protected. Hmm. But as, as for Muslims, they can go pray wherever they so choose. It's theirs in a sense. You know, I, I told our church about this, that anytime we leave something unprotected in faith, the enemy wants to come in and take it. Anytime hmm. we don't cover in prayer or with the authority of scripture, we're giving permission to the enemy just to simply say it's mine and I'll take it and I'll build what I want there. Um, that's what happened on the Temple Mount. It was left undone and unprotected. It was taken over ultimately by an enemy that built where they wanted to for no real reason. You know, it's not one of their most holy sites even. You know, there's yeah. Medina and Mecca. Th those sites are holy for Muslims. Um, mm -hmm. They say the Dome on the Rock is where ultimately Muhammad would have ascended, which I find is really fascinating since we know that Jesus ascends right beside there and ultimately will come back right there as well. So we, it's just amazing to me because I'd always pictured the Temple Mount as being this peaceful area um, where it's really not. Um, it kind of feels like the Golan Heights. This is this area kind of north of, 
of you know in northern part of Israel, they fought for that area the same way. And ultimately, it's run by the Israeli government, but it's filled with Palestinians, and they just kind of live at peace as long as there's no fighting. They're okay. And I feel like there's something in Christians that we've lost, and that's that our, our defensive faith, such that mm-hmm. now we just kind of seek peace rather than truth in our own culture. And where will the enemy build where we have left stuff undone is a really scary thought as a pastor, and especially just as a father and a husband as well. Um, what are we leaving undone that we should be protecting diligently as, as people of faith? That's interesting. I was with uh, Dr. Jack Graham. Uh, you know, earlier today and at lunch, he was talking about his concern for the church and concern for pastors, but particularly pastors that are compromising on social issues going on. And, you know, there's a bunch. And he was talking about, you know, you know, we need alpha pastors, you know, uh, people that are going to like, you know, stand for, for God's word and to, 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 to stand up, um, because, you know, it's, it's hard, uh, you know, to, to, to stand up because we feel like we're going to get rejected and we feel like, you know, Mm. you know, the world's going to throw, you know, stones at us, but really it's not us. It's not our message. It's not our truth or our word, but, you know, Jesus said in John seven, seven, the reason that the world hates him is because he testifies that it's evil and that we shouldn't be surprised if we're his followers, because, you know, the world hated him before us and, right. you know, it's going to hate us too. But, you know, as followers of Jesus, we've got to stand for the message that he stood for and right. it's, it's his truth. So, you know, all, all the truth that's in the Bible, you know, by default becomes our truth and we've got to stand up for it, even if the culture doesn't. That's right. You know, so in Israel, you know, you think about, you know, what you're, what you're talking about here, you know, this is a very small place on the map, but you know, it sits between, you know, uh, three continents and, and you, and you got to think, you know, you go back, you know, uh, centuries and centuries and centuries, you know, this, it was, it's, it was central back then. And, and it's still central today. There's this importance that I think just almost can't be explained except supernaturally. Absolutely. Well, and praise God, we, we see his hand at work protecting this small little nation. I mean, that, like you said, it's either these other surrounding countries or an ocean. (laughs) I mean, they have nowhere else to go. And outside of God's providence, they would have been wiped out a long time ago and should have been. But, you know, God has been faithfully taking care of his nation for forever. Um, You know, I, I was thinking back to what you were just saying about what Dr. Graham was saying. There's a true enemy now in church culture that makes us think back to what's happening in Israel the same way as pastors and as faith leaders. There's this fear that if we stand on God's word or his truth, we become political agents. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that has to be true at all. God never called us. I, mean, I believe God calls politicians. I believe he calls those people. Uh, but I also believe that God calls men in pulpits to stand firm on his word. And that doesn't make us a Senator. Um, if we find ourselves uniquely leaving scripture to give our thoughts or our opinions from the pulpit, there's a danger there. Now we've told people our words and our thoughts. And as far as I can tell from scripture, God's ways and thoughts are much higher than ours. And so his principles we have to live by, we have to teach and train. And as pastors, we're called to equip the saints for good works. 
that's a, a high calling. And that protection of God's truth is something that's so needed. Um, our, our tour God, Yoav, a, a great man, a Jewish man. In fact, he said that he's a problematic Jew because he follows Jewish teaching and thoughts, but he knows about Jesus. Um, hmm. He wasn't a follower, just knew how to head knowledge full of Jesus things, but no heart change about it. Um, as we we're walking through, he said, it's all about good works. It's all about keeping peace. And we were telling him, man, it's so much more about forgiveness and love and um, a relationship with Jesus Christ that's changing. Um, I think our culture needs to see that standing on the word of God doesn't make us mean spirited, nor does it make us uniquely political. It makes us followers of truth. And when we hold on to truth, it sets free. It always takes captives and sets them free. And we're living in a culture of so much captivity that we don't even get it um, because all of our sacred places have been filled with idols and foreign gods. And we don't even notice the difference. You know, it's interesting because uh, going back to Daniel 6, when this law is passed that you can't pray, you know, Daniel had just cleaned up all this corruption in, in Babylon under the king. He was 85 years old. And, you know, but Daniel finds out about this law that passes after it passes. And then he goes and he prays anyway, as was his custom. You know, the Bible says they, you know, they tried to find any wrongdoing in Daniel and they couldn't do it. So they made a law against him in connection with this God. So it was targeted against him uh, religiously. But I've always thought, you know, what if Daniel, who was pretty powerful, knew about that law before it passed? Could he have done something about it? I don't know, maybe, yeah. but you know, the other question is, would he have done something about it? And I know this is speculative, but I like to, I'd like to think that he probably would have. Um, and we also know that the King who signed the law, that mm -hmm. when he found out about what it really was, that yeah. he wanted to do something about it. And, you know, I think, you know, kind of the moral of the story is that, Hey, um, you shouldn't allow bad laws to pass in the first place. <laughs> That's right. And if you can do something about it, then you should probably, you know, try to do something. And, you know, as Christians, you know, we, you know, we're, tr we're trying to be salt and light. And then also too wisely, I think, you know, that, uh, you know, pastors, you know, we've got people on both sides of the aisle politically. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to stay out of politics, but, you know, we have to take a, a stand for righteousness and for yeah. values. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, Cal, you know, as, as you, you know, looked, you know, to the last few decades, you could see Barna polls where Christians were, you know, 96% of the American population. Harris polls said 94%. And, you know, you had these high percentages. Well, you know, the more and more that they take these polls today, those numbers are dropping. Yeah, and I think that Christians are going to see a lot of changes. They're if if people are on social media and stuff, they're already seeing, you know, uh, there's 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 stuff there already. Uh, there's a lot of censorship going on and stuff like that because people are saying, "Hey, don't we we don't want your viewpoint anymore," and so you know it's it's getting hard. I think also too we're going to see some some things change in our culture unless you know Christians actually stand up for themselves and for their faith. Cause I think, yeah. you know, in the past, in the America that we grew up in, 
you know, th there was so many Christians that if you didn't want to go to school board meeting, you didn't have to go to school board meeting. If right. you didn't want to vote, you didn't have to vote and stuff like that. But I think, you know, in the culture that we have now, mm -hmm. Christians are going to have to group together and we're sure. going to have to band together and we're going to have to stand up for things or we're going to lose a lot of things that we hold valuable. One of them is religious liberty. You know, I keep oh, seeing yeah. laws that are being proposed in our country, you know, um, you know, for new issues that are going on that don't have carve outs for religious liberty. And this is particularly alarming uh, for someone like myself, because I'm not just a religious liberty attorney, but, you know, I'm a preacher, you know, so I'm a I'm a minister. And so, you know, I know that the Bible places in very high esteem marriage, but then yeah. also the Bible's pretty clear about gender, you know, sure. that, you know, God created us as male and female. And even Jesus, he's like, have you not heard? That's right. In the beginning, God created them male and female. And so, you know, these are things that, you know, are, they're, they're pretty well taught in scripture. And yeah. we're, we're having this big clash in culture now with yeah. our values. And, you know, it's, it's going to be harder and harder, you know, because we're a religious liberty firm. We get the calls about, Hey, you know, um, you know, the, one of the next big things I think we have coming Kyle, is, is, is pronoun wars, you oh, know, yeah. with, yeah. with, with kids. So, you know, this is happening in schools and, you know, people are choosing preferred pronouns and uh, different things. And some kids don't want to do it, especially if, if the, if the other child has been another gender and they're switching and some of them are switching back and forth and, you know, all kinds of stuff are, I mean, our phones, you know, ringing off the hook, but, you know, how do we, you know, how do we stand as Christians with, with all of these, these swirling things? Yeah. I'd be curious about your thoughts. Yeah. So we, you, you said it earlier when you said that, you know, Daniel, it was his practice to pray. Um, we have to go back to sacred practice. You know, I think that now we live in a culture that tells us that you have to be this party or that party. And I think the older I get, the more I realize the far extremes of each party are, are awful. Right. And yeah. they want mm -hmm. us to line up into one of those far extremes. But I think even non-Christians find themselves in somewhere in between here. I feel like only politicians want us to live in far extremes. I think we got to go back to sacred practice. I think we've got to know what is common for a Christian because it's the only way that I believe as Christians will notice the difference when our culture shifts ungodly. You know, we, we don't think in terms of high places. You know, we don't think of, you know, these uh, golden calves or these poles being set up for foreign worships. But in our culture, they're on our television every day. They're on the Internet. They're in our phones, in our pockets, 100% of our time. These foreign gods are always asking us for allegiance. But unless we have these sacred practices in our daily routines, we won't even notice the difference. I heard a quote one time that said, um, if the Holy Spirit didn't show up in the modern church, most church members wouldn't notice the difference. Hmm. And to me, that's heartbreaking because we have no sacred practices. We're just uniquely kind of prone to our thoughts of a particular preacher's preaching or even a denominational line when we weren't even called to, we were called to look like Christ. We're called to follow after him and submit our lives to his image and his likeness and the way he did things. And in our culture, 
you can be a non-Christian and a good person. You can be a non-Christian and a good neighbor. You, you can not lie. You can, uh, well, I mean, to a point, right? But uh, you can not steal from your neighbor or cover your, covet your neighbor's wife. You can be a non-Christian and do these things. But what's the sacred things? What, what are the things that a non-Christian doesn't do? Well, we, we know a full submission to the Lord Jesus Christ is something a non-Christian never does. So when our culture asks us to fall ourselves into these lines to be, you know, just kind, we go, listen, there's a way to be kind, but not submit to something that's anti-Jesus. I mean, you just talked mm-hmm. about pronoun wars, you know, as somebody that grew up without those, you know, my kids are growing up in that culture where pronouns are whatever you want them to be. Well, I grew up, you know, with Southern courtesy of saying yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And you did that based upon the likeness in front of you. And, you know, now when you say yes, ma'am, to somebody and they go, oh, I'm sorry, that's offensive. As a, you know, Southerner, you go, well, how is that offensive to you? Um, I, I was talking to a, a friend who has young children. I said, we're really getting to a cultural day where uh, your daughter goes off to college and brings home a young man. Um, you don't know if that young man grew up a young woman, nor do you <laughs> feel like you can ask that question. But that used to be a question we didn't ask, but we're in that culture today. And so we have to train our kids in the sacred things. We have to show them that prayer is a priority. Time in the scripture is needed and it is lifeblood. We have to show them that community of faith is absolutely a necessity so that when they see a world that's different and lost, they notice the difference. The only other way we do that is to stand and pick it. And we've seen, you know, fellow believers who claim that they claim a Jesus, but they look like the enemy. And so a lost world is going, well, we're we're a Southern Baptist church. And so when we tell people we're a Baptist church, they go, Oh, do y'all pick it? Do y'all scream at funerals? You know, do you? And of course we're like, absolutely not. We don't, but see, this is where we've gotten to standing on truth. We can either train up our children and when they're old, they won't depart from it and equip our churches with the absolute truth and the practices these ancient practices that were given to us long before we were born through scripture and adhere them to our lives and apply them in our homes and apply them in our churches and our workplaces. So when the world starts shouting, Jesus starts speaking. And that's how we change this culture. We, we change it the way he did. You know, Jesus absolutely could have screamed his way through scripture, had full authority to do so, but he chose to serve. He chose to equip and then he chose to die. Um, for those that didn't even know he was real. Um, that That's powerful to me. So as Christians, we are called to do the same things, to serve, to equip, and to lay down our lives. And Christ says there's something pretty serious about those who lay down their lives for others. Um, and that's what I want to train up my children. That's what I want to train our church to do, is those things. Just act like Christ, and then when the world starts to say something wrong, you will notice it. And it, it does shape how we vote. It does shape, like you said, how we show up at, you know, city council meetings and, you know, PTF meetings and talk about truth. We have to um, because we're different. In fact, I think more and more as Christians, we're going to be considered alien in nature. Mm. When we look like Christ in a lost world, we're going to seem off-putting. But like you said, they hated Jesus. They're going to hate his people. And if not, we've lost some sacred things. You know, 30 years ago, um, I heard a couple messages that I I kind of giggled at. 
one, I heard a message by Josh McDowell and it was at the Southern Baptist convention. And he basically said, Hey, people are going to move away from absolute truth into relative truth. Yeah. And I just thought, Josh just lost it. There's no <laughs> way that that's going yeah. to happen. And of course, now we find ourselves in a battle for the truth. That's right. And, you know, it, does God have truth or does he not? I mean, he either does or he doesn't. And, and that becomes so yeah. important. And so right in that vein, uh, I hear another message by Dr. Adrian Rogers. He was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in, in Memphis, incredible preacher. But he makes the statement. He said, um, he said, you know, the, the, the next great big battle um, is going to be the battle over the family, the biblical family. And, and I just, I kind of giggled at that too. You know, 30 years ago, I thought, that's not even controversial. I mean, there's right. how in the world, but I tell you what, fast forward, you know, that's right. th 30 years. And it's like, wow, it's like they had crystal balls. That's right. And, you know, this whole thing, this whole thing has happened fast. Quickly. I mean, in the last five years, I mean, this yeah. thing has just went, you know, uh, just, just kapow. And you know what I've wondered, Kyle is like, you know, you know how teachings that pastors like you do, because, you know, now we live in a world where we're told there's over 50 genders, you know, and yeah. some of the genders are very confusing, like other and yeah. things like this. And so it's like, you know, people are, you know, they're going to have to hear the only place they're probably going to hear about manhood and womanhood is probably when they come to your church. I mean, I think these are sure. going to become more and more important topics, you know, things well, that were kind of like side stuff before are probably yeah. going to be pretty important. Well, our God is not an author of confusion. You know, I, I think as Christians, one of the things that we have to readapt to is um, for so long, we have been told that Christians don't agree with science, which was never a truth. It's just what really far, you know, out there, people wanted us to believe that as Christians, we couldn't believe in science. Well, I remember as a kid in science class, learning that there were two genders. That, that yeah. was science. We didn't have to question that. And now we've had to give away science for preference. This is how mm -hmm. far we've gone. And so inside the church, we can't give that up. We can't let that just drift away. If we believe that God created in his image, man and female, and he created them not only for helpmate, but also for, you know, having offspring. And there was a reason they were created the way they were. I mean, mm -hmm. genetics are a thing. God knew what he was doing. Uh, only now are we so confused about gender that we don't even understand why genders are the way they are. And all mm -hmm. it's really doing is confusing our youngest. But we've got to really look into things like school districts where things are being taught so differently than they were when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, they took all the boys to one room. They took all the girls to one room and they talked through gender and they mm -hmm. talked through the changes boys are going to go through and the changes the girls were going to go through. Now that's just not even a consideration because there's so many different ones. I, that's just mesmerizing to me. And where we have to get back to is if there's no truth, then we're all ruined, right? But mm -hmm. we know that we hold absolute truth in our fingertips because of God. And if God is truly creator, which I believe and you believe because of the truth of the word of God, we have to go back to the only place that keeps speaking truth that never changes off of truth and build our lives upon it and train up people around us to be equipped in it. Um, I, I think we're just barely touching the surface in our culture as Americans of where this is going to go. Uh, we will, 
will always look back. I, I told my students, I remember I was student ministry for forever. And there was this great photo of a lady. It was a suggestive picture of her in a, a full bathing suit. I mean, it went from her neck down to just past her kneecaps <laughs> and it's completely <laughs> covering her up. And she took that picture. And at the time, everybody in culture said that she was just risque and how crude it was. And she was just like, oh, it's fine. Now we see the worst of the worst just in TV commercials. Mm-hmm. And that's in between a family show. You know, they'll flip on a commercial for an underwear model and you're just blown away like, whoa, when did this happen? Our culture is just waiting for the next thing to pop up that we're going to have to go. How far did we get here and why did we go so far so fast? And I agree with you. I I think as churches, we have to keep teaching truth. but We also have to equip our people with that truth and say, you have to do something with it. We can't just be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word. And if we won't be doers, what are we doing with church? Why go? Why go to church as a believer anymore? Unless we're just being equipped so that we go and do. That is absolute need in our culture. I mean, we see it all through scripture. James tells us that faith without these works just is like dead on a vine. It just dries up. And I think that's the reason that we see so many churches closing and going away is we have adapted to culture so far to sell ourselves, to get more people in that we've given away the truth at the same moment. And that is dangerous as a church without truth is nothing more than a self-help book and they can go pick that up any bookstore they want. So we absolutely have to stand on truth, train in truth and equip in it. You know, a hundred years ago, there was a, there was an evangelist and some Christians still know his name, but his name was D.L. Moody Hmm. and D.L. Moody rocked the Hmm. planet. I did my PhD dissertation on the uh, history of evangelists, starting with Philip in the Bible all the way to, Billy Graham. And, you know, I did a big thing on D.L. Moody and, you know, D.L. Moody was once asked one time, he said, you know, they they said, basically just name, you know, one thing that shows the existence of God. Just one thing. D.L. Moody said, that's easy. He said, the Jew. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you look at Israel, I'm I'm tying all this back in, you know, before we close, we we close the show here Mm -hmm. and, uh, you, you see this miracle of the nation of Israel and these Jewish people, and you just came back with this incredible story, and I'm going to have you, you know, give a closing summary here in just a second, whatever you want to say. And I think about the miraculousness of that. But Kyle, I think about, you know, the the decline of of Christianity in America, and it seems like the numbers of Christians number of Christians is shrinking every single day. Every time a poll comes out, it's like, like bombs are going off. And it, and it makes me think, you know what? Um, We need to be more and more thankful every day for the miracle of Christians in the United States of America. And that's us. And we are a part of God's miracle that I believe that God has put us here to, to stand and and represent righteousness and so forth and so on. That's kind of my take on it. I'll let you uh, uh, close out uh, any thoughts that you have closing our show here. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. You know, we as Christians have to defend faith at all costs. I mean, if Christ is real, if he is the savior of our lives, if he has redeemed us, even from ourselves, it is worth giving our everything for. We have to protect the faith. 
And that means we have to equip ourselves thoroughly. Um, my last thought is everywhere I went uh, around Israel, next to the door was one of these things. They would hang around next to the door on a little crooked stance and they would have scripture in them. Almost all of them had the Shema in them. You know, oh, here are Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Um, just made me think, how are we showing a lost world that scripture is meaningful to us, that prayer is meaningful to us? And it just led me back to that thought from 2021 of that man on the Temple Mount. Would we be found out as people of faith if anybody had to find us? And that doesn't mean that we're standing on street corners necessarily preaching, although I think that needs to be done. Um, I think it means that we need to be able to share our faith and have an answer for the hope we have in Christ. And I take that very seriously, not just for my church, but for me. Uh, listen, if I'm going to be a man of God, I need to be able to share my faith openly. I need to be equipped and readied. And so do we all. We have to defend our faith. We must defend our house. Because if not, certainly somebody else is going to move in. The last thought I have is one of my good friends, Shane Pruitt, he's the collegiate guy over the international or North American mission board. I love that guy. Um, the other day uh, he posted on Twitter that when he first started in evangelism, seeing about 10% of kids at camps make some decision for Christ would have been revival. But in this generation where he's preaching now, it's closer to 40. Yeah. I believe this next generation is going to, see the movement of God and take it seriously. And we need to equip them to do so because whoever wants the next generation the most will get it. And so we must equip with the sacred things, with the gospel, with Christ. Amen. Now, for the sake of curious minds, mm. the guy that was in court for praying, mm. do you know what happened to him? Uh, he's out. He's doing his thing. He just gets to Was pray he convicted or did he... He, uh, he was the model for every Jew. So hmm. there was no conviction done, no jail time. He was just al not allowed on the temple Mount for 15 days. Um, ah. and since then, I think they've kind of said that guy just needs to not be on there. So, hmm. um, we need to pray for our fellow, you know, for the Jews out there who are still seeking the face of the Messiah. Uh, so many of them have a head knowledge of Jesus. I mean, they're walking where he walked every day. Um, they just have never encountered him. And I'm praying that they encounter him tomorrow morning when they wake up. Well, Kyle Clayton, we've been listening to Pastor Kyle Clayton, and he is at the church at Quail Creek. Pastor, how can people find out more about you? I know that you're an incredible preacher. Um, where can we find your sermons or any resources uh, concerning sure. uh, your teachings? Yeah. So the church website um, we're at the church at Quell Creek. And so our church website is tcqc.org. You can also find the church at Quell Creek on YouTube. And we list our services there as well. That is so awesome. Well, my boys have been, they're here and they produce our podcast, Hunter and Graham. And I've told them the next time that we're ever in Amarillo, that uh, we're going to come and eat at that steakhouse. Because they, I ate there when I was a kid. And if you could eat the whole steak that you could eat for free. And uh, I can't remember what the, the big text is in it called big, big Texan. Yeah. Yeah. Is it still there? It is still going strong. So, Oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, next time you're in Amarillo, you got to go there and you got to go visit pastor Kyle. Well, it's been a wonderful uh, broadcast today with pastor Kyle Clayton. Be sure and share this with 
someone that you know, be sure and uh, check out our website, defendingthefaith.law, to check out any of our resources or sign up for anything that we have going on. It's been a blessing to have you on the show today, and we will see you in the next episode of Defending the Faith.